Tuesday Takeover on The Viewpoint. And good evening. It's uh, really, really, really wonderful um, to be here tonight to be yours. Tuesday takeover. My name is Chandi Bayou, and as long as I said, uh, I am a senior economist at PwC Strategy End in South Africa. Uh, it's going to be, uh, I'm going to be today um, uh, hosting a really important uh, and a wonderful guest, Ndorozo Nwabe, who is uh, DDG Deputy Director General of the Department of Mining, Resources and Energy. Uh, there she is uh, heading up policy, uh, global relations and investment promotion. And talking about that today, we had a really amazing uh, and interesting um, discussion on critical minerals. Now, many of you will know that we have had a long discussion about critical skills. And if you ask anybody about what we mean by critical skills, they probably can tell you. Those are the important skills that we know are urgent, are needed for today's development and for where we are going into the future. But what are we actually talking about when we are discussing critical minerals? And that is some discussion that we're going to have. We're going to have multiple things that we also heard today about that. So let me first welcome uh, Ndorozo. Didiji, good uh, evening. Good evening, Kanti, and good evening to the listeners at home. Thank you very much for, um, for having this discussion with me. I'm going to mix this up because also one of the things we did today, uh, which is very, very important, and we were saying this with, uh, with Songhezo, uh, about resilience and building resilience. We released today at PwC um, a, 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 a thought leadership piece around building resilience, and mining is a particularly important part of that. Many of you will know, and the minister today and those will remember, talked about how everybody rem remembers minerals when we are in trouble, because it always gives us that little boost that we need every single time. Um, and so we'll talk about that in building resilience. But let's start here. What we talk about when we're actually talking about critical minerals, having the background of some of the, what we already know about, uh, about critical skills. So, you know, Kandi, it's very interesting how everybody talks about critical minerals. Others call them green minerals. Others call them minerals of the future. Others call them strategic minerals. And you find these terms being used interchangeably. And they mean different things for different countries. I mean, we've looked at um, countries like Australia that released their critical mineral strategy a few months ago. Um, the UK released theirs in June this year. Uh, Canada released theirs as well um, um, late last year. And if you look at um, what they um, categorize as critical minerals, it's different things. And the US, for example, would say critical minerals for them uh, minerals that are essential for the army and defense, for example. But for South Africa, one could argue, argue differently. So there isn't firstly no single definition of what critical minerals are. But what is becoming very common across these um, jurisdictions is the fact that minerals that um, would support the growth and development of the just energy transition tend to be in common. And those are your cobalt, lithium, vanadium, manganese, you name, to name a few. Um, and they are in large quantities found on this continent. And, and like you're saying, the, the conversations today were really at the center of Africa taking advantage of that. You know, one of the things that I thought was quite interesting, um, because one of the things that when we talk about, um, and I keep, I'm going to refer to when we're thinking about critical skills, we had a vision. It's quite clear, and we have a policy, and we already know what list is on there, and it's very clear. 
Yeah. And it's something that uh, sort of people know. We'll talk about engineers. We can talk to anybody about what are these critical skills? We know them. But it doesn't seem that we have not we've had a, a discussion around what are these critical minerals and does do people know them? And um, so what are they? And actually, when are we going to make sure that we have that sort of clear cut vision? What has been stopping us? Why don't people know about it? Okay. So for my sins in the department, <laughs> I'm the person uh, tasked with developing a critical mineral strategy for the country. And we've begun with that process and our timeline really for us to take the draft to cabinet, uh, for cabinet to allow us to gazette for public comments is October. So we will be going to cabinet in October. We've started, pro we started a process of drafting the critical <coughs> mineral strategy for the country in partnership with um, Mintech, and we're opening in other government departments and private sector for that matter, you know, and we have put together a roadmap that outlines what we are going to do, how we are going to go about drafting this uh, strategy for the country. But one important thing which I think is worth mentioning is the fact that we've sat down and agreed that we need a scientific method to determine criticality for South Africa. Like I said, different countries designate different minerals as critical for them. And we've said, for South Africa, we need to come up with a model. And we've started with that process. We will feed certain information into the model. What are the biggest contributors? Which mineral commodities are the biggest contributors to the economy? Biggest contributors to our energy generation? Biggest contributors to all um, sets of um, outer matrix that we're putting together that we are going to look at um, and the model will then tell us on, on a ranked scale what is going to be critical for South Africa based on, for example, we even have uranium con contributing to the medical space and that could be critical, that could come out as critical for South Africa. Coal could come out as critical for South Africa because 85% of our um, electricity is generated from coal and that is our reality as South Africa. So we're working on a scientific method that will stand the test of time so that when we come out with the draft, it will be a draft that we can defend and own proudly. Uh, that's fantastic. You know, I mean, when we were talking about this and saying defining, you know, I work in a strategy firm and one of the key things we want people to say, is, what is the question you are trying to answer? And I think with critical skills, I mean, critical minerals, one of the things we've been highlighting is we want to be able to say what it is that is on this list for what reason, which is exactly the scientific method. Um, as you've been listening, my name is Kandi Pai again. I am your Tuesday stand-in. Uh, if you want to participate in this uh, conversation, you can call us on 86 Zero zero zero. That's triple zero two zero three two. Or you can send your WhatsApp on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. Now you have to keep your voice notes under a minute and try and make sure that your background is uh, is quiet so you don't want to hear us at the back. Um, and I think that's uh, the part of the conversation. We're very keen for you as you listen to us to try and contribute. Again, I think. Uh, as Didi Jindogozo is saying to us, is that this is about to be formulated, and I'm sure it's good to hear your thoughts about what we are discussing here about critical minerals uh, and what we need to actually be uh, discussing. Uh, um, uh, we're about to, uh, gonna take a quick break, and then I think we're gonna go to news, and then we'll be back. No, news? Okay, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be back uh, shortly after this. Tuesday Takeover on The Viewpoint.
Great, you are still listening to SAFM. Uh, my name is Kandipaye, and I'm um, sitting here with Didijin uh, Dokozongwabe. She is with the Department of uh, Mineral Resources and Energy. We are talking about, um, about critical minerals. I want to take us back a little bit because I think one of the important things that we forget about is actually the contribution of, uh, of, of minerals and mineral resources into our country. One of the things we've talked about at PwC just recently is the volatility that we are seeing uh, in, in global markets. And that really does affect, of course, mineral prices or uh, commodity prices, whether we're actually talking about minerals or we're talking about food uh, commodities um, like wheat and the different kinds of mineral that we need for our revenues and what we need to do. I wonder, uh, Didiji, if when we you are thinking about these things and you are putting them into your, if you are thinking about these things and you are putting them into your plan, into your vision, you will be choosing which ones you think will do better in contributing to the fiscus, for example. Yes, of course. Um, but we, we don't want to preempt what will come out. But obviously, as we formulate um, and design the model, we are going to be putting contribution to the economy at the highest. Uh, we're also going to look at uh, job creation. I mean, mining sector is a huge um, employment creator. We are going to look at um, our energy needs. We're going to look at the whole spectrum of what uh, mineral commodities, what sectors uh, the economy do mineral commodities contribute to. And from that, we'll be able to design our model. And the model will then give us an outcome uh, which outcome we would then analyze and it would be ranked and that would really, we want, I'm emphasizing this, that it has to be scientific so that it's not seen as somebody's preference mm. or somebody's <clears throat> emotion or somebody's attachment to certain commodities. <laughs> yeah. I know why he's laughing. My minister is being called a coal fundamentalist <laughs> and he argues he worked longer in the copper mines than in coal mines, so he should be called a copper fundamentalist. But he is called a, a fundamentalist of coal and we don't want... Um, the outcome to be skewed. That's why we're going with the scientific method. You know, one of the things I, I, I'm glad you actually mentioned copper because today at our conversation we had the minister, uh, the deputy minister of the DRC, and we heard uh, during the conference today that the DRC is actually one of the th three biggest producers of copper. Um, but simply, uh, the DRC does not have a strategy uh, or have not made uh, copper a strategic mineral. Yeah. And that has actually led to a loss. But also one of the things that was also interesting was a discussion around, we are creating a strategy in South Africa, but we clearly should also be thinking about a strategy that is more regional, perhaps more continental, mm -hmm. because all our work uh, is connected. How is uh, the thinking around that to make sure that actually maybe we are connecting with the regional, uh, our, our regional peers, especially who may share similar um, critical minerals? You know, when I heard... Um ministers from the SADC region making such comments and, and other delegates at the, at the African Critical Minerals Summit earlier on raising an issue about considering a broader strategy. It was quite interesting for me because in our own concept notes that we've put together for the development of the strategy for South Africa, we did say, for example, if you look at the entire value chain in Africa, Generally, as African countries, we are stuck in the pit-to-pot um, mining system. And we got to a point in one of our sessions where we looked at how copper from Zambia, for example, 
comes through South Africa being trucked through South Africa to Richards Bay uh, Terminal for exports. And in the discussion, we then said, what if we were to set up a beneficiation plant in South Africa so that they truck to South Africa and we add value in South Africa and ship out of Richards Bay Terminal value-added copper, you know? And so what he was raising is very much in line with the thinking as we've outlined it in the concept note for the strategy for South Africa. But also we went back to dig through our files and we looked at the Africa Mining Vision and the Africa Mining Partnership, which emanates from the African Union conversations around mining. And if you look at that vision or that document, it talks to that. It talks to Africa being united and Africa having a common strategy and a common vision insofar as um, ensuring that its mineral wealth powers and supports industrialization on the continent. So it's quite interesting and we're looking forward and we are going to be taking that work further, by the way, and we are scheduled to host um, um, officials from the DRC next month sometime. And part of the discussions on the agenda would be precisely this matter. Interesting. And then we talk about government to government, but there's always this concern, uh, of course, that, you know, governments talk to each other or they talk inwardly. Uh, are there conversations or at least contributions that we're getting from business? Uh, you know, I mean, I work, of course, uh, in, a, in, a, in the business sector, strategy uh, development business. So one is always interested in terms of the collaborations that government is interested in at this time, especially mm -hmm. when we think about, you know, we know that our, you know, public resources are not as strong as they once were. So we want to make sure that we have the right kind of collaborations to make sure uh, that we further the interests, especially for the public. What, where are you with that discussion? Yeah. Um, you would recall that in June this year, uh, President Ramaphosa led a delegation of ministers and senior officials in the public service, as well as a business delegation, a huge business delegation to the DRC. And while we were there on that four-day trip, we had a forum of business uh, people from South Africa in the DRC discussing opportunities, areas of collaboration around both sectors, by the way, it was mining and energy. And that undeniable nexus, particularly between critical minerals and energy and just energy transition for that matter, sits very high on the agenda. And I must say, let me take this opportunity to also share with you and South Africans that there is now a formal structure called Coordinated Mechanism for Economic Diplomacy, chaired and led by Minister Pando. And we are part of that forum. We chair the mining and energy sector. And within that forum, we look at firstly South African business with a footprint on the African continent. How do we anchor them? How do we support them? How do we strengthen them? But we also look at getting business from the continent into South Africa. So it's very much well in line with the work that we've already started uh, advancing. No, uh, music to my ears. This is actually really, really good. Uh, it turns out we actually are starting to get some calls. Um, I have Candisa, uh, who is calling us from Atlossana, and then I'll come to you, Colin, uh, who is in Cape Town. Candisa, good evening. Good evening, my brother, and how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? And TG, the TG. Look, my brother, I'm saying, you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead. Yes, we can hear you. Go I'm ahead. I'm in in mining area here in Silfonte. You know, uh, the the place that I'm staying in is Kuma location. There are mines there that are closed here. We left only with rock dumps here, and 
The city of Matosana, the mayor there, and Harmony, they are busy eating these hog dumps, and they don't do anything for people of our township in Kuma. This township is very poor, but yet a lot of mice. Margaret, Bayfuls, Harpies, and so forth. And these rock dams, they are ownerless. You know, now, there are companies that are eating this with uh, harmony and the uh, speech of Matosa. The LED of, uh, of, of the LED of the municipality, they always, when there is uh, public participation, when we're supposed to ask uh, VMR some questions, they defend VMR, and VMR is not doing anything for us. Even projects, we say, VMR, come and fix roads here, or come and fix halls uh, of this township. You know, and our houses here are cracked by this, this, this mine. Our houses are, are cracked. And nobody is helping us from a DMRE. So you are, you are hitting right at the, at, the, at the bottom of the issue, Candice, and I can hear you very well. I'm going to ask the DDG to actually respond to you, and I'm sure there's a, a, some important um, conversations there. Um, Colin, uh, thank you very much for having waited. I know you've been waiting for a very long time. Um, let's yes, hear from yes, you. yes, yes. Um, um, your name, I forgot. Um, your name, uh, I'm, I normally talk to some guests. Yeah, Songez is, uh, I'm standing in for Songez. I'm, I'm he's standing, he's actually here with me. My name is Chandi, and I'm here with Didi uh, Indokozo. So go ahead. And your, and your guest. Do you know something? Economy. Our economy will actually never, ever grow. Because we are allowing outsiders to come and run our economy. You know, Africa's got, I was reading, Sometime back, 47%, Africa's got 47% of minerals in the world. Now, why are we not utilizing us Africans, the AU, the whole of Africa get together and import the knowledge and import the workers of Africa? and not bring Chinese or Russians, whoever it is, to come and do what they want to do and walk away with the minerals. You know, I worked 45 years for the government department in engineering. We had ISCO. We had, in each province, a smelting place, a foundry. All our iron ore was melted there. And... Cape Steel and all our steel companies in this country used to buy from ISCO. We never exported. Our iron ore and all that stuff was melted in South Africa. I'm talking about the 70s, the 80s and that. And now today, our iron ore gets pulled out of the ground, extracted out of the ground, hard labor, less wages, and get shipped off to China, and then we buy that same whatever um, uh, um, they melted down, and we buy it back from them at three, four, five times the amount. What's ever happened to our foundries in South Africa, ISCO, and things like that? 
we're going to start waking up in Africa and enjoy the fruits of Africa. We've got to stop looking for other companies. Uh, other companies can come into our country and give us the expertise, but at the price. And our labor must be our labor in Africa, not Chinese, not foreigners, and things like that. That is where the foreign Colin. countries are taking over your country. Thanks very much. Thanks very much, Colin. That's really a very good point, and I'm going to get um, uh, Tidini Dorozo to actually contribute to that. I think you are raising some important issues. And then I have um, our last caller that I'm going to take before I let my guest uh, respond. Sylvester uh, is in Johannesburg. Good evening, Sylvester. Good evening. Thank you so much, Auntie, and good evening to Dorozo. Uh, my question is, um, you mentioned you spoke about beneficiation and adding value to to, to the mineral. One of the one my, my observation is that discussion is, is such a critical one, but I also noticed that it has been going on for more than a decade, if, if my memory serves me well. Um, going back to the days of President Tabumbeki to the President Jacob Zuma, and now we have President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. The ministers keep telling us about, and, and economic experts for, for that matter, and everyone, uh, I dare say. But it seems like it's a very difficult thing to do, to take the critical minerals out of the ground and put value within the boundaries of the continent and export value-added uh, products. Can at least you, in very simple terms, explain to us why for so long that very normal and very critical, I uh, excuse the pun, um, uh, concept has never been implemented. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. That's a very important discussion. I mean, <laughs> we also had a very, very strong discussion around um, our beneficiation, and I think that's going to be important. And then let's just take that quick voice note that we've received from one of our callers, um, and then we will give um, uh, Ndogozo some, some, uh, a moment to, to, to respond to some of the comments that we've received and questions. Hi, Lubio Chengele here from Cape Town. Uh, during the time of uh, Dr. Pumzile Mlambo Nunga, uh, as a Minister of Minerals and Energy, they came up with a policy to say, you can own the land, but everything that is underneath that piece of land of yours, it does not belong to you. It belongs to government. I just want to establish, is that policy still in existence? Uh, that's a very important question, and I think that will actually talk about, uh, uh, takes us to the break, because are mineral rights actually under the piece of land yours, or do they still belong to the government? Let's take a break. Uh, you are still with SAFM, and my name is Tony Pai. I am your Tuesday stand-in. Tuesday Takeover on The Viewpoint. Welcome back. You are listening to uh, SAFM. My name is Chandipai, and tonight I'm your Tuesday takeover. Um, with Songezo Mapeklens here, and I'm also with uh, Dokozo Ngwabe, who is the DDG from the Department of Minerals, Mineral Resources uh, and Energy. And we've been talking about critical minerals, and also we are discussing resilience, building resilience in our economy, uh, in our businesses, and that's something we're going to talk about. But we had some 
callers just before this we had three callers and i'm going to give um there was some time to respond to the three questions that we received and the last one but maybe let's start with that last voice note if you don't mind because that one is a quick one about whether or not if i have a farm and then suddenly there's something under that farm um that i find who does that belong to so in 2002 we drafted a piece of legislation, the Minerals and Petroleum Resources Development Act, which basically states that the people of South Africa, all of them equally, own the mineral rights or the minerals beneath the soil. And private individuals, business entities, whoever trusts, own the surface. So you could own the surface, but the minerals below belong to all of us as citizens of South Africa in equal share. And the state only holds those minerals in custody on our behalf. That's the the, the shot of it. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so, so then I, I guess uh, that, that that voice note then is clear about, you know, what Pum, Dr. Pumzalambogimoko's policy was still remains. Yes. It's okay, let me give you then a chance to respond to the three questions. I saw you were writing quite furiously there. Yes. Um. So maybe let me start with Candice in Kumo. You know, the question about mine dams and mine dams not benefiting local people. Just as recent as last week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we had our members of our portfolio committee um, visiting those areas to look at illegal mining activities in those areas because a lot of these mining illegal um, activities take place um, in those areas where these dams are found. But also over time, we have learned that, you know, Yes, there is some value in some of the dumps, economic value, but in some not. But there is this general misconception or misunderstanding that um, there's a lot of gold in those dumps, there's a lot of wealth in those dumps, and some people are benefiting from them, which in some cases might not necessarily be true. But also I think what doesn't get spoken about, which maybe one should explain, is the capital investment required to reprocess those dumps in some cases might not be worth the risk you know and and that's information that we probably as the department should start sharing more and more you know as we go out and do our outreach programs to communities so that we also educate communities that yes it is uncomfortable and unhealthy and unsafe you know to have dumps around them but when it comes to their economic value, it's not always true, you know, that there's something um, worth extracting out of those dumps. So in a nutshell, that's that. However, I do encourage um, the caller, Ukandisa, to, to reach out to the department. And if the, the regional office in Clackstop, because you're in Kumo, if the regional office in Clackstop does not help you or you don't find joy, you're more than welcome to reach out to head office in Pretoria. And we would come out and, and, and hear you out and assess the situation on the ground. Um, and then houses cracked in the area. You know, in mining areas, the, this is a common um, complaint that we get most of the time. In some cases, uh, you would find that, yes, it is true. It's as a result of blasting. In some ca cases, not. You know, you would find that in some cases, it's just pure structural defect. But in cases where we do find that... Um, 
blasting activities, you know, result in people's houses being cracked. We do hold mining houses or mining companies accountable and we get them to rebuild, you know, those houses. So again, I would say we would um, have our regional office in Glexstop go out and assess, you know, the situation. But in some areas, I must say, especially areas in the Northwest, in that area of Orkney, Kuma, uh, you, you would find that it's dwellings built on undermined ground that was mined many years ago and that ground would at some point be unstable and as there are ground movements which might not necessarily be felt or visible on a daily basis it does tend to affect um, structures in those areas and kind if i may move on to the question that was posed by colin and us not allowing foreigners to run the economy and, and, and for Africa to do it for themselves. And then he went on to ask a question about basically our smelting capacity in South Africa and, and you know, took us back to the days of exploded days of ESCO where we processed our own iron ore domestically in South Africa. So it's a number of factors. We've lost quite a huge um, of our a huge percentage of our smelting capacity. And that's due to several factors such as electricity costs. And if you look at our competitors like Singapore, they don't produce a single ton of iron ore. They don't produce, you know, any minerals, but they are the processing hub because they devised a strategy as a country to say they're going to come up with good incentives to attract investments, but also lower their electricity tariffs. So it makes economic sense for somebody to mine here, ship their commodities to Singapore and process them there because it works out cheaper. Whereas in South Africa and some countries on the African continent, the issue has been that electricity prices are just not affordable anymore. But I must um, also hasten to say that in 2020, 2019, 2020, we did come up with what we call a negotiated price agreements framework, which is a framework geared towards supporting intensive consumers of electricity and in the main smelters. And with that, um, smelting companies are able to approach ESCOM for negotiated tariffs, you know, that make it affordable to process in South Africa because we understand that the loss of that refining capacity goes with the loss of jobs, right? And lastly, to Sylvester, beneficiation, why is it taking us too long? Again, you know, several factors, electricity prices, the absence of incentives, um, and these are all the things that are occupying us at this point. We're looking at developing a whole package that would help us respond to this um, issue and really drive our beneficiation strategy in the country. Um, you know, I have a, a question on my own, and I think that's important. I was talking about, you know, this uh, work that we've been doing at Pillows around rebuilding resilience. And you mentioned a number of things that are important because, you know, we are talking about developing a vision for min uh, for critical minerals. But we now know there are issues around, obviously, labor issues, uh, prices for energy. There's probably prices for water, changes in geopolitical issues. And we know that I think one of the things we haven't we didn't discuss today, perhaps that's important, are the geopolitics around all the minerals and some of the things that come up there. And one of the things that we get, we have to think about is actually how do we build strategies that are, are, are resilient or policies that are resilient in terms of all of the things um, that are coming up. I'm not putting in the spot here, but I'm thinking there must be some ways in which um, we can you know, sit together and try and figure out. And I, I suspect these price agreements, for example, the frameworks might help us in some way to sort of build some stability or some resilience so that these businesses who are investing 
are able to, in some way, to say, look, I can invest here, but I know that prices of electricity are changing, but policy maybe supports that in a particular way. Is there some way to think about that? We already are thinking about it, actually, between ourselves as the DMRE, National Treasury and the Presidency. You know, we have regular, and, 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 and DPE, public enterprises, we have regular meetings where we sit and discuss within the economic cluster, uh, economic cluster structure. We say, what are the drivers for the economy? You know, where do we see possible growth? And how do we sub- come up with supportive policies that will help us you know, um, achieve that growth. So a lot of work is being done currently, and I'm very much positive that by the end of this financial year, we will be able to table that package that I talk about, where we don't only look at prices, but we look at a whole lot of issues. I mean, port and rail costs, what we collectively call administered prices, price of water, price of electricity, ports and, and rail costs, shipping costs. We're looking at a whole package, you know, and we're looking at um, delivering a responsive policy that would enable and unlock growth within the economy. Oh, that's um, that's fantastic. I think we've got a, do we have any callers perhaps uh, before we actually round it up? Okay, then maybe uh, a last question because I think we have sh- quickly running out of time. Um, Okay, so maybe let's let's round it up because I think um, we've had a really really good discussion. But I'm going to let you, um, the DG, to um, maybe have um, one or two things that you think we have not covered. But I think one of the key key things um, as we are looking at critical minerals and building this uh, this this vision is perhaps the uh, the you know the communities perhaps wanting also to participate. I mean, we have a, a big community, as we've heard from people here who've got views. How do they also participate in just sort of throwing in what, you know, their two cents in terms of what they think should be a part of this discussion? Well, what's policy today in South Africa is um, what's contained in the MPRDA, supported by the Mining Charter. And when we revised or reviewed the Mining Charter in 2018, we created something that's never been there before an allocation of about 5% to communities um, in terms of ownership in the structures. So when we issue any new mining right that we issue now, must have that allocation for ownership, you know, for communities. But over and above that, we have social and labor plans. Minister and Deputy Minister have been crisscrossing the country over the past three, four years, launching projects, good local economic development projects from clinics to schools. And that's the contribution overall and on a, you know, share, making communities feel that they co-own and they have a share in the mineral wealth of this country. Oh, fantastic. All right, look, we have come really to the end of uh, today's discussion. This has been really, really wonderful um, to have this discussion uh, with Dr. Ngwabe, who is DDG uh, at the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy, talking to us about critical minerals. We've also had the opportunity really to think about, you know, the world that we are living in, the volatility that we face, and really most all businesses, all individuals, all communities, all leaders have to think about how, as we think about our future, our plans, our businesses, we have to figure out also what are the kinds of of, uh, key disruptions that are happening and how we actually stay resilient and that's going to be very very important and that's something that we've been talking about and we hope you are thinking about um we are up fast approaching you so first for my to thank my guest um for having spent the time with me to thank of course SFM uh, and Songezo for giving me uh, the opportunity to take his seat uh, as a Tuesday takeover and to say thank you to the listeners for really for engagement and from listening to us for myself Kandibai. Uh, it's been wonderful. I think the time is about a minute to nine o'clock. 
uh, and uh, we'll welcome the news. Good night. Yeah, thank you very much, Mr. Kandibai, as well as to you, Mr. Ngwabe, the DDG in the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy. I think a conversation from, I mean, there are many takeouts from this conversation, but I think an equally important one, and I absolutely have no doubt that Colin in Cape Town would be one of those persons who are invested in that sort of conversation is the conversation around infrastructure that supports mining, particularly rail infrastructure. One cannot begin to tell you the damage trucks in the transportation of all these goods between the points of Cape Town, Richards Bay, Durban, Oha, to a lesser extent, East London, shifting them inland and distributing that accordingly. All transportation that really could, if not should, be done by the rail infrastructure, which, to be fair, when it was inherited in the 94 Passover, well, not necessarily optimal, but certainly functional. And I think we might have dropped the ball in the last 30 years if an honest scientific assessment talking about science were to be made. But that all said, let us take the news break now. We go to Ms. Dineo Mdawung for the 21 hours break.